Thanks for tuning in to the 81st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via SoundCloud, the WCET-FM radio network, WJCU, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, appreciate the listen. Got a great show planned for you today. Going to have J.J. Stankovitz on. He is a, he covers the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago. So it's going to be a really interesting interview. Going to talk about Mitch Trubisky. Uh, head coach Matt Nagy, Khalil Mack. The Chicago Bears, a bit of, of a surprise team. A bit of a surprise team last year. A lot of people did not think they would be as good as they were. And they ended up having a very good year. And they're a team, and I'll say right now, I think they will be at the NFC Championship game. I don't think it will be the Chicago Bears and the Los Angeles Rams. I said it here first. I think that's going to be the NFC Championship game. So they, they've grown a lot and a lot of potential there. So going to get JJ's opinion on all of that. You won't want to miss that interview. But, you know, NBA playoff time. Actually, Saturday. Right air Saturday, WJCU. Uh, WCTFM Radio Network on late night in the middle com. right? Saturday. NBA playoffs start. And I can't wait. I think the, the first game is going to be at noon. I don't know who's playing, actually. Uh, but the first game, when it tips off, right? be Saturday, get my food. I'll be sitting down, and it'll be like... And the F- NBA playoffs are underway. The 2019 NBA playoffs are underway. I love it. Love NBA postseason basketball. That's actually how I fell in love with the game. I remember 2010, uh, was Kobe Bryant's last championship in Los Angeles. That's when I fell in love with the game. Fell in love with Kobe Bryant as a basketball player. Love it. Love the NBA. Love the NBA postseason. And I love it so much. Uh, I might start doing Facebook Lives. Pre-game, post-game Facebook Lives. Afternoon Facebook Lives. We might get Scotty in on this. Uh, Jason. Also Landon. Maybe even Joe a couple of times. We're going to get a lot of people on in, in on this. Because I love talking basketball. Especially NBA postseason time. I just love it. There's so many great memories. Great storylines. Remember when LeBron James dropped over 40 points. And about 15 rebounds against the Boston Celtics. And Game 6 in TD Bank Boston Garden. In 2012. So there's just so many memories that I hold here in the NBA postseason. Right? But... This NBA postseason, I think we're, we've made things complicated this season, right? Because I'll describe the NBA season in a nutshell, right? Lakers underachieve. LeBron James no longer the best player in the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo ascends to the best player in the NBA. James Harden goes on an historic scoring pace we haven't seen since Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Those are all pretty simple. But what people are making very... Sophisticated. What people are making very complicated is, can the Golden State Warriors three-peat? Yes, the Golden State Warriors can three-peat. Their first-round matchup will be the Los Angeles Clippers. Who's the best player on the Clippers? Lou Williams. And I love Lou Williams. Maybe he might be the best six-man to ever play the game of basketball. But, Lou, love you, man. Got respect for your game. If you were on Golden State, you would be the what? Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, DeMarcus Cousins. The sixth best person on the team. And then it depends. Would you rather have Andre Godagla or Lou Williams? Because I can make an argument. Andre Godagla is a lot more versatile defensively. And he can do a lot more things for you in the postseason defensively that Lou Williams necessarily can't do because he's 6'2", 6'3", and he's a scoring guard. Then we go. Second round. They will, in all likelihood, they will play the Houston Rockets. Again, like I'm saying, we're making this too complicated. We're making this so sophisticated. You know, everybody's like, oh my God. Remember, you, when you asked out your first girl, you're like, how do, how do I ask out this girl I really like? You know, you know, how do I get the mood right? You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? And then time flows your mind. She's with another dude because you, you waited too long. We're making this too complicated. 
Ghost of the Warriors, they're unlikely, like I said, play the Houston Rockets. I know James Harden has been on a historic scoring pace, but let's be real. The Rockets are not as good as they were last year when they took the Golden State Warriors to seven games. They're not as good as they were last year. Chris Paul isn't as good as he was last year. James Harden is better, but Chris Paul is not. And the Warriors added DeMarcus Cousins. Then we get to the conference finals. Denver, the Denver Nuggets are the two seed. Like I said, let's not make this too complicated. The Warriors have demolished Denver almost about every time they played this year and absolutely embarrassed the Nuggets. So we keep saying, you know, how do I get a good grade in this class? Everybody always goes to the professor. I need to go to extra help. I need to do this. I need to do that, right? You know, how do, how do I do this? When the easiest thing is, come to class on time, sit in the front, raise your hand, and study. The library will help you a lot more in terms of getting good grades in the Xbox. Don't make this complicated. Denver can't beat Golden State, and don't give me Oklahoma City either. Five games. Okay? Five games. Maybe a competitive five games, but still five games nonetheless. And the NBA Finals. The Eastern Conference has gotten so much better. You have Giannis in Milwaukee, Kawhi in Toronto, Joel Embiid in the 76ers, Kyrie Irving in the Boston Celtics. Well, folks, let me explain this to you. The Bucks' second best player, and while I do like their roster and the way it's constructed, and Giannis is the best player in the NBA, Chris Middleton is their second best player, and Giannis has no playoff success. And I'm not even sure the Bucks are going to get past the Celtics in the conference semis. Oh, what about Toronto? What about Toronto? Well, maybe I would go with Toronto, but... Given the fact that you can make an argument the Raptors are better when Kawhi doesn't play, it's kind of hard for me to see them beating the Warriors. Oh, but the 76ers, they have so much talent in their starting five. They have a much more talented starting five than Golden State. They have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, J.J. Redick. Best starting five in the league. Okay, I'll give you they might have a better starting five than the Golden State Warriors, but Ben Simmons still can't shoot. Your primary ball handler and decision maker can't be the primary ball handler and decision maker in the fourth quarter in close games in the NBA Finals. Every possession, every moment, especially in the waning seconds in the fourth quarter, it will all matter. And your primary ball handler and decision maker can't have the ball in his hands. That's kind of a problem. And then the Boston Celtics. I was bullish on the Celtics to start the season. At one point, I thought maybe they could beat the Warriors. But, you know, here's what I'm going to say about the Boston Celtics. They haven't shown at all at any point in this year, and they do play Golden State usually pretty tough, but they haven't shown at any point this year that they can even get out of the East. They could be in a seven-game series with the Indiana Pacers without Victor Aladipo very easily. So, no, don't give me the Boston Celtics. I don't even know if they're going to make it to Golden State. So like I said, don't make it too complicated. Don't go to your teacher. Go to office hours and just say, like, how can you get my grade up? Just go to class. Don't think, hey, listen, you know, I need to give this elaborate, uh, you know, this elaborate rose to this girl. Like, no, just ask her out. There are things that should be simple. Things that should be easy, right? And Golden State, winning the NBA championship this year is easy. So I'm going to go on record right now. I have the Golden State Warriors winning the Western Conference. I have them winning the NBA championship. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, at the bottom of the podcast, I will tell you who I have coming out of the East, right? The East is as deep as it's ever been. There's as many wild cards as it's ever been. Like I said, Giannis in the Bucks, one seed. Kyrie Irving, Boston Celtics, four seed. Kawhi Leonard, Toronto Raptors, two seed. Joel Embiid, Philadelphia 76ers, three seed. Don't know who's going to come out of that side. But here's something, right, I do know. Antonio Brown is a clown, and he makes you, me, and all his teammates frown. Yes, that is my new rhyme when it comes to Antonio Brown, right? You know, I got that because actually I was 
in a spoken word uh, contest, actually, and I did pretty bad, as a matter of fact. Made it too complicated. Like I said, don't make things too complicated and you'll do better. But I did get third place, which is pretty good concerning that I didn't think I did very good. But uh, the spoken, you know, I was thinking I'd get in my little spoken, my little spoken word feelings and I had. Antonio Brown is a clown and he makes you, me, and all of his teammates frown. Antonio Brown has been in the news this week for all the wrong, selfish, crazy reasons. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I think this is a cry for help, right? When people see this a lot with like celebrities and like people in Hollywood, like they go off the deep end and basically like, you know, they get into stuff and I'm not alleging anything, but you know, they get into stuff and then you see, and they're acting like a fool. Then after a while, reports come out, they do a documentary, a TV show, and you're like, oh, this is why so-and-so was acting like a fool. Here's what Antonio Brown has done this past week that has been really disturbing. First, he decides to tweet out, because Juju Smith-Huster, uh, the wide receiver, his second wide receiver in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, right, young guy, apparently Antonio Brown took him under his wing. Juju Smith-Huster defends Ben Roethlisberger because there's been a little bit of a public battle with Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown in terms of, you know, it's been a good leader, so on and so forth, in terms of Antonio Brown. Did that make Antonio Brown's actions right and justified? Juju Smith-Huster defends Ben Roethlisberger. And he might, Juju Smith-Huster might have been lying when he defends Ben Roethlisberger. He might not like Ben. But as a teammate, you got to say good stuff about him because he's your teammate, he's your co-worker. And goddamn, you got to play with him. But Antonio Brown decides to post a picture, I believe, on Instagram making fun of the fact that Juju Smith-Huster fumbled the Pittsburgh Steelers postseason chances away in that game against the New Orleans Saints, right? I believe it was like week 15, week 16 when that happened. And it didn't make any sense. It was cold. It was cruel. And then Antonio Brown doubles down. He's like, hey, y'all think I can be an a-hole and a jack you-know-what? He's like, let me show y'all. Let me show y'all what I can do. Let me show you how much of a jerk I can be. He decides to dig up old DMs. And how many DMs does Antonio Brown have? How many DMs does he get? Because I believe this one, Juju Smith-Huster was a, in USC, Juju Smith-Huster is going to be entering his third year in the NFL. So this was possibly four or five years ago. So the amount of time Antonio Brown has to dig up old DMs is beyond me. I mean, he could have screenshotted it, but I think he might have dug this up. But he says, it's basically how Juju Smith-Huster DMs Antonio Brown asking him for help. You know, I want to learn from you. You're a great receiver. Can you teach me some tricks of the trade? Which makes sense. Juju Smith-Huster, really humble guy, really humble kid, wants to learn from Antonio Brown, one of the best receivers in the NFL. How can I be better? How can I improve my skills as a player, as a wide receiver? How can I develop to be in the position you are? And Antonio Brown brings it up. And you know what? It wasn't like, you know, because at first when I when I read Juju Smith-Huster, uh, Antonio Brown brings up Juju Smith-Huster, uh, DMs, old DMs. I'm thinking, okay, what possibly is this man trying to do? Like, for first I thought, did he get a picture of him doing something that he should not have been doing? Uh, and and you, you can go with that what you want out there. You can imagine. There's a lot of things, right? Because especially this time we live in where people have their phones everywhere. Did he do something like that? And then other people pointed out, could it have been Juju Smith-Huster just DMing Antonio Brown and be like, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, he's a jerk. Mike Tomlin's kind of crazy. I don't really like the Roonies. Some stuff like that. But it was just making fun of the fact that he was a young guy trying to ask him for help. This shows Antonio Brown ain't in the right frame of mind, mentally. And he's kind of a jerk. And let me also mention this. Would you want to be friends with somebody? Would you want to work with somebody? Would you want to be around somebody that you can't trust them with information because they might post it on social media? Because it's different to work with somebody, right, that you don't particularly like or you're not fond of. But it's very different when that coworker starts revealing personal information, personal comments, personal texts, personal messages to the public. And it doesn't matter the fact that the, the DM that Antonio Brown put out there of Juju Smith-Huster was a good one. It, it didn't make Juju Smith look bad one bit, one iota. But the problem is it wasn't for us. It wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. It was not for our public consumption. That was not supposed to be public. It was supposed to be private. So then it makes you, sense, makes you think, man, I can't trust that dude. That dude's crazy. And all in all, Antonio Brown is a 30-year-old grown man. Now, those are two strikes, Antonio Brown. Three strikes, you're out. Let's go to, at the end of the year, he decides to not show up the last week to the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, practice. And then shows up on Sunday like, yo, Mike, you know I'm playing, right? And Mike, and Mike Tomlin's like, well, 
you haven't been in practice all week. Me, the owner, and the GM all called you, and we didn't get a response. Why would you be playing? And Antonio Brown's like, man, Mike Tomlin, they're all trying to do me wrong. And Antonio Brown leaves during halftime. Now, if you did that in any walk of life, any walk of life, you would be fired on the spot. High school teacher, hey, you know what? I'm not going to show up to class all weekend. When the superintendent calls me, I'm just going to press ignore. You're a journalist. Hey, don't show up to work all week. And when the editor, when the editor calls me, like, where are you? You know, I don't respond. You run a business. Don't show up all week. Then everybody's like, where is he? It doesn't make sense. Antonio Brown is a clown that makes you, me, and all of his teammates frown. That is my new spoken word. That is my new rhyme for Antonio Brown because it sums him up. And this is my last point on this, and I don't really don't like going here with people, but and I'm just going to say this because it's my opinion. I'm just going to say it, right? And I don't know if this to be true or not, but maybe Antonio Brown, maybe there are mental health issues going on here. There are some other things going on with this guy because this is not normal behavior. Right? This is not durable behavior. People in the right frame of mind do not do stuff like this. So I'm, because of Antonio Brown's actions, I'm evil. I have to believe either one of two things. Either Antonio Brown has some issues that maybe he needs to address and he needs to get help with, which is fine. Or Antonio Brown is just an a hole and a jerk. It's either one of those two right now. This isn't messing around. This is going beyond the line, going beyond the pale. And not to mention the fact he's doing Facebook Lives in the locker room and he's done a bunch of other stuff. Now, cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to have J.J. Stankovitz on the show. He covers the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, J.J. Stankovitz. He covers the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago. How are you doing, J.J.? I'm the man. Thanks for having me on. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about is, right, you know, the Chicago Bears, they kind of have, like, a, a surprising year last year. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of NFL experts, they were pre- predicting them to finish, you know, last in the NFC. You know, you have the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. The Minnesota Vikings were in the NFC Championship game the, the year before, right? But, you know, the Bears surprised everybody and b- end up uh, making it to the playoffs. They had a disappointing wildcard round, but made it to the playoffs. And really one of the surprise stories of the NFL. What do you think was the biggest reason for the Chicago Bears turnaround? First one being when they hired Matt Nagy, uh, just the, the and the mentality that he brought in to Hallett Hall was the, the absolute fresh, breath of fresh air that this organization needed after all those years of losing and being expected to finish last in the division, like you said. Uh, you know, and, and just the way that players instantly respected him, not just on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball, that really stood out. That doesn't happen all the time, I and mean, we've seen what's happened up in Detroit with Matt Patricia. A first-year coach comes in, it's not always a given that players will like and respect them. So that's the first part. The second part was when they traded for Khalil Mack. The, the Bears knew they had a good defense. They played pretty well in 2017, despite having a number of injuries. They didn't really turn the ball over a whole lot, but they, they were a solid, fundamental unit at the very least. And then they added Khalil Mack, and... That all of a sudden took this team from being a good defense to a great defense, where Khalil Mack, it is kind of quick, but he literally made everyone around him better. And that was an absolutely incredible thing to watch happen from the first defensive snap he played. You could see how he was going to transform the entire defense. And, I mean, look, the Bears' offense was not where they wanted it to be. Matt Nagy said we were a league average offense, and that's about right. Um, they, they made the playoffs on the back of the best defense in the NFL, and honestly, one of the best defenses in the last 20 years that we've seen in the league. So, uh, it, it was uh, those two things I think were the two biggest reasons why you saw the Bears go worse first. Now, you know, a reason for me personally why I was a little bit bullish on the Bears to start the year last year was, you know, uh, Matt, Matt Nagy kind of reminded me of, of Sean McVay, kind of Sean McVay, you know, that younger, you know, guy that, that can be that offensive mind, uh, 
bringing in with him a really good defense as well. Nikola Mack just obviously took that thing to a whole nother level. But it also seemed, you know, he was able to relate to the players maybe better than maybe the pass coach, like a John Fox was. And, and you know, that was a big deal. Do you, do you think that played a role in it? Yeah, I mean, players, players felt the genuine energy from Matt Nagy, and I think that is the biggest factor. Um, I remember talking to Prince Mukamara way back in, I think it was May or June, and, you know, him saying that, you know, Nagy's got this swagger to him that we really like and, you know, we really respect about him. And, you know, John John Fox was a guy who players liked. They, they knew they didn't win enough, obviously, in his tenure. But players liked him. He was a, regarded as a player's coach. Matt Nagy comes in. I, I think you would probably call Matt Nagy a player's coach, but it's totally different. It's just a totally new energy that he brought into Hallett Hall and you know that you can see how it you know everyone saw the, you know, the club dub videos that were shared on Twitter and Matt Nagy yelling boom in the middle of the, the huddle after games uh, you know you just you can see the Bears just thoroughly respecting and really enjoying the presence of this guy who is their coach and I, I think that's where it kind of came from there. Now, now, when you talk about that swagger Matt Nagy has, can you just explain, like, how, how does he show that swagger, like, on a day-to-day basis that allows him to relate to players? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, he does it in practice where you, you can see how active he is during those practices, not just with the offense, but, you know, while he let Dick Fangio take defense, you know, going over there and, you know, kind of talking trash to them. I always enjoy uh, players saying that, you know, they, they would – Nagy would talk trash to defensive players, and then, you know, Prince Mukamara or whoever would pick off the pass during practice, and he'd turn around and, you know, kind of wink at Nagy or, you know, talk some trash back to him. Um, you know, that kind of gives him that. And then, to me, the, the biggest thing that you can point to was the number of defensive players he used on offense to the point where every Friday where uh, the Bears would have their red zone meeting on offense, Nagy would go into one of the four defensive uh, units in their room at Hallett Hall, and he just kind of peek his head in, and he'd read out some numbers. So for the week that they ran Santa's play against the Los Angeles Rams, which is the play where they had uh, no wide receivers or running backs or tight ends on the field for a touchdown, he peeks his head into the defensive line room and reads out 95, 96, 98, 90, and those players just go nuts. They're like, oh, my God, we're getting in, you know, the week before, Keen Hicks had ran for a touchdown. So, players are, you know, kind of waiting for that. And that, that's just something where players really, they, they absorb that energy and they take it in a way that becomes so positive for the entire team where, you know, previously other coaches might poke their heads into the defensive room and you might be like, uh, I really don't want to hear from this guy. And they're, you know, they've seen Nagy Sun come in and players go nuts because they know one of them or a couple of them are going to get on the field on offense. I have a question. Has he ever let a, one of the offensive linemen get it on offense? Uh, carry the ball or anything yeah, like that? Brett uh, Stoll on that play that I was talking about against the Rams, he was a backup uh, swing tackle. He caught the touchdown on that play and uh, showed some athleticism on it, basically. But yeah, you know you know the big guys love that. <laughs> Defensive players, they love, they love that. Now, now with Khalil Mack, and, and you know for the trade to Khalil Mack, and like I said, you know, it, it took the defense to a whole nother level, but you know... And you mentioned how we made people better on the team, but how do you think this trade actually started to, you know, come about? Because at first, in my opinion, when I started hearing, is Khalil Mack going to get traded? Is Khalil Mack going to get traded? That's crazy. And then it ended up getting done. How do you think this deal was able to get done? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny because I wrote about a week before the Khalil Mack trade that there was no chance that they were going to trade for Khalil Mack. Uh, so I looked like an idiot. But I talked to some people in Oakland who said, no, there's no way they're going to trade him. Like, they can't do that, you can't trade Khalil Mack. And as it turned out, John Gruden was willing to trade Khalil Mack. So, um, it, you know, it was a pretty wild, um, pretty wild couple of hours there where, you know, you went to bed on Friday and it was sort of like, okay, I think something might be happening with Khalil Mack, but I don't know what team it's going to be. And you wake up on Saturday and it's like, oh my God, it's the Bears. And, uh, you know, how it came together was, you know, it, it took a lot of moving parts with it. It took Ryan Pace being willing to part with two draft, two first round draft picks. Uh, um, it took then Ryan Pace going to the team's ownership and saying, "Do we have ninety million dollars in the bank account to pay this guy?" 
largest contract ever given to a, a defensive player in NFL history. Um, and then it took Cleo Mack saying, okay, Chicago sounds good. I'll go there. So quite a few different parts to it. But, man, when the Bears made that trade, uh, it, you, you could feel the energy just kind of ratchet up even more about this team because there was a lot of positivity going into the season. And then you could Cleo Mack, one of the three best edge rushers in the NFL, and you're just like, all right, well, this, this might be going somewhere. Yeah, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers felt that energy the the first game of the year. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, you know, also I want to know about Khalil Mack. You know, how, how was he as a leader? How did he bring? You know, because the Bears were a young team. You know, they have a young quarterback in Mitch Trubisky. You know, a young head coach in Matt Nagy. How did Khalil Mack bring bring that kind of a veteran presence and veteran stability to the Chicago Bears? That, that's a really, really good question to bring up here because Khalil Mack actually he's he's a leader, but he's not a vocal leader. He's very much a lead-by-example guy, where he's, he's a man of few words. Uh, we learned that in the media this year, but uh, you know he, he's quiet, he's confident, he doesn't want the fame or the attention. He, he's a guy who doesn't really like talking about himself. And to me, that's sticking so well with the Bears' locker room, because they already had a vocal leader on that defense in Danny Trevathan. They had another one in the key hit who made the, uh, the Pro Bowl this year. And they had a, they, it turns out they have this budding vocal leader in Eddie Jackson, they're all pro safety. So Khalil Mack came in, and it was almost a perfect fit. You know, if you brought in a flashy guy, you know, say, for instance, you brought in Von Miller, a guy who's tremendous in his position, by all accounts, a really good guy, someone who enjoys spotlight. And that's, that's totally fine. He's won his Super Bowl doing it. But I don't know if Von Miller would have worked as well in that Bears locker room based on the fact that he's a guy who likes the spotlight. And Khalil Mack knows it. Khalil Mack hated talking to the media. He would only talk on Fridays when there were the fewest number of media members there. And if you ever really asked him about himself, he would kind of brush it off and give you a non-answer. But Khalil Mack loves talking. So that's just kind of the, the, the player and the person that he is. He's not in it for spotlight. He obviously loves having the largest contract ever given to his defense player in NFL history who won it, but he's not a guy who's flashy or vocal or anything like that. He just wants to go there, do business, work on his craft every day, and be the best at his position that he can be, and kind of let the audit take care of themselves from there. Now, now, you mentioned all this stuff about Khalil Mack, but I want to talk about Khalil Mack, the player, for, for, for a second. How good do you think Khalil Mack is? Like, because people say, you know, he's one of the best pass rushers, he's one of the best defensive players, but do you think he's legitimately, like, he is the best defensive player in the NFL, better than guys like, let's say, Aaron Donald, guys like Avon Miller? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I think he's in that conversation. I, you know, you could, every year you could say one of those guys is the best. I think those years you'd say it's Aaron Donald a couple years ago, it would have been Von Miller. Who knows, maybe this year it'll be Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, but what Khalil Mack does, his ability to go from speed to power and use his technique is just it's mesmerizing to watch. Um, his ability to use different pass rushing moves on tackles who think they have a counter because they saw him do this once or he did it earlier in the game, and then Mack develops the counter to the counter within a game. He's such a student of his craft, and he has he has the obvious athleticism and strength and all the, the physical traits you need to be an elite pass rusher. But there are a lot of guys in the NFL who have those elite physical traits and don't work as hard as Khalil Mack. And that is what makes him such a, a such a great player, one of the best in the league at his position, is the the fact that he marries that athleticism with a work ethic, a drive, and this level of football IQ that is constantly growing to make him an unstoppable force on the field. And, you know, you listen to, I listen to so many coaches say on conference calls with Chicago media, you know, we, ha- we have to know where number 52 is at all times, and we have to game plan for him, because if we let him beat us, we have us on our job right. And teams with game plan for him, they commit two, three guys against him, and Khalil Mack would still blow up their game plan. So it's just a fascinating thing to watch him go about his craft. And it's one of the more enjoyable things I get to do in this job is every Sunday during the fall, getting to watch Khalil Mack go out and play. 
Now, right, you know, and we talked about this, right? The Bears, they kind of snuck up on everybody this year. But now, you know, they're the guy that the team that everybody's going to be looking towards. They're, they're the team that, you know, Green Bay, they're going to be like, we have, we need to be better than the Bears. Minnesota's like, we need to be better than the Bears. And it's kind of a different position than this organization has been in in the past. How do you think the players and the coaches are going to react to that? Yeah, Daryl, that's, that's kind of one of the central questions about this team is how are they going to react to being the hunted in the division? And uh, I think I kind of asked Matt Nagy that um, at the league meetings last month, you know, kind of under the guise of, okay, you have a lot of guys who have accomplished something personally, made the Pro Bowl, made All-Pro, you know, Matt Nagy himself won Coach of the Year, all, all this stuff. How does the team move on from these personal accomplishments and I was trying to make it about the team accomplishments, and he said that uh, Khalil Mack texted him during the Super Bowl saying, I'm not watching the Super Bowl, I'm working out. And, like, that that level of drive and commitment is what I, what I think will help the Bears as they now become the team that's got the target on their back. Um, you know, and they have, they have, like we talked about earlier, they have a very good culture inside their locker room, inside their locker room, excuse me, that... You know, if things do start to go sideways early in the year, I don't think it's going to crack the way that you might see some other teams crack. Uh, certainly we saw the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of crack under some pressure last year. And I don't see the same thing happening with the Bears if, you know, they get off to a 2-3 and three start or something. Um, I think they're better equipped to deal with that than some other teams in the league. But it is going to be interesting because the Bears also kind of the honeymoon phase is over. Uh, they re-energized the fan base last year. They got great crowds at Soldier Field that were really into games. They were loud for the first time in probably eight years, a decade. Uh, and now for the fan base, the honeymoon's kind of over. The Bears, the expectation for the Bears is to make the Super Bowl this year. And if they don't do that and they fall short, then it's a disappointing season for this team. And it, it will be for the fans and the players are going to be, they're going to feel that just as they felt the excitement about the team last year where Khalil Mack was joking that, you know, he can't go to home goods without getting stopped by like 20 people saying how amazing the job he's doing. Uh, you know, if the Bears start losing some games, the, the fan base is going to hold them to a high standard for the first time in quite a while. Now talk about, you know, Mitch Trubisky, because, you know, Mitch Trubisky last year came into his second year. He showed a lot of improvement. I think he's still developing as a passer. What do you think is the expectation for the organization for Mitch Trubisky going into his third year playing in the NFL? Yeah, it's going to have to be more consistency um, and better production. We'll stop on those two things, because to me, the Bears' defense, it's going to be hard for them to be as good as they were last year. They're still going to be a really good unit, probably one of the best four or five in the NFL, but I think just naturally defenses take a step back year to year. It's hard to maintain that level of success. So for the Bears, they need Mitch Trubisky to take that step forward that you would expect a quarterback pick second overall will do. And, you know, I think we'll see where the offense kind of evolves to from here, but, you know, if you look at 2018, kind of the, the glass half full of that season on offense is that it was kind of a full year of figuring out what works and what doesn't. And they figured out that, okay, so say the running game doesn't really work. So they got rid of George Howard, they signed Mike Davis, and they're probably going to take a running back in April's draft. That will then help Mitch Trubisky be a better quarterback because the Bears only, I believe it was only one team, which was the Jaguars, had fewer yards per play on play action than the Bears last year. And that is something that the Bears have to get better at because play action opens things up for a quarterback. It makes for easier throws that aren't as tight of windows. And the Bears weren't really able to do that last year because they didn't have a running game that anyone really respected. So it is going to be sort of this holistic approach to making Trubisky better. But he himself, he can't be missing these throws where you just kind of scratch your head and you wonder what he was looking at. Or a throw where he has guy open and he sails it over his head and it gets picked off and you're just wondering what what went wrong and his mechanics on that throw. These are the things that he has to clean up himself that aren't really part of the whole the overall offense taking the next step. It, it's on him. And if he can just make those improvements, then I think you'll see the Bears offense take the next step. But look, if he doesn't, Daryl, I don't really know where the Bears go from here because they're going to then be left with this, cho- this choice 
of whether or not to pick up his fifth year option and pay him over $21, $22 million in 2020, uh, excuse me, 2021. And that would be a lot of money to pay for a mediocre quarterback if that's what Mitch Trubisky is and his development kind of flatlines this year. So it's going to be a critical year for the Bears and for Mitch Trubisky in 2019. Now, Mitch Trubisky last year, he relied a lot on his legs. You know, they called a lot of running plays for him, and I think people always misconstrue it that, you know, he, he's a running quarterback, you know. He, he's an athletic guy, but, you know, there's always that balance of you want him to become more of a pocket passer. You want to call less design runs and more, you know, pl- uh, plays where you're dropping back. How do you think Matt Nagy's going to kind of have that kind of give and take, that push and pull where he wants Mitch to do what he's really good at, but he also wants him to develop as a quarterback? Yeah, I think I think a lot of the, the running games that Trubisky made, you know, quite a few of those were on sort of improvising, where he would just sort of take off and run. But I think the teaching point there is, you know, Trubisky would maybe go through one or two of his reads, and neither of them would be open. And instead of going to his third read, he would just kind of take off and run. And that works when you're playing a man's defense. Um, you know, we saw it against the New England Patriots in Week 8 when he ran all over them in that game. But, again... So the team started to zone him up a little bit more. It forced him to be more of a pocket passer. Um, you know, even if he was kind of moving the pocket or rolling out, it, the, the running options were really not there for him. So for Matt Nagy, I think it's going to be just you know keeping his trust in the scheme, in the route, in the offensive line, in all these things. So instead of going through two progressions and taking off, you know, hey, see if your third's open. Uh, you know, because the third on any given play could be. Taylor Gabriel, Allen Robinson, or Anthony Miller, and that's a pretty good third option to have. Or Tariq Cohen, or, you know, someone like that. So, um, it is just, you know, the Bears kind of framing it as a natural development of a quarterback, where he'll be in his second year in Matt Nagy's offense, third year in the league, and this is kind of where they expect him to take that next step. But, again, if he doesn't, then I, I, am, I have some serious questions about where this franchise is going and what their ceiling really is uh, you know, long term with Trubisky as their quarterback. How confident do you think are that the Bears brass are that Mitch Trubisky can make that next step? They're exceedingly confident in it. Um, you know, be it from what they see on film or honestly because they have to be confident in him because they they've staked Ryan Pace has staked his general manager career essentially to how good Mitch Trubisky is. And uh, Matt Nagy signed up with the Bears to be their coach because he believed in Mitch Trubisky and still believes in Mitch Trubisky. And, you know, look, the, the Bears see the talent there in him. Um, the problem is that everyone else in the league sees the talent that Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes have and go, why the heck did you take one of those two guys? So, you know, inside how it's all, the Bears are confident in Trubisky to, you know, become one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But it's entirely fair for those outside the building who don't follow the Bears, who follow the league or, you know, whatever, to be like, well, wait a minute, they totally lift on this decision because they could have had Watson or Mahomes. And either of those guys based on pure talent and certainly production in the league right now is better than Mitch Trubisky. But, you know, the, the people who have made the decisions, who do the scouting, who do the coaching, they all believe in Mitch Trubisky 100%. And... Now, and you mentioned that, be maybe people and fans, you know, outside of the building might have more question marks because he was picked number two overall and head of a Deshaun Watson, who's been very good, and Patrick Mahomes, who just, for God's sake, MVP of the league uh, last last year. But do you think Mitch Trubisky feels that pressure a little bit? Do you think he's like, okay, you know, I have to be better because people are going to always compare me because I was in the same draft class. I was the first quarterback taken. They're going to compare me. Hey, are you better than Deshaun Watson? Hey, are you better than Patrick Mahomes? I don't think he, he feels that pressure uh, at all. He's, he's a guy who last year, he uh, he went on what he called Zero Dark Ten, where he got off all social media during the season. Uh, you know, I'm sure he was, I'm sure he wasn't a, it wasn't a full 100%, you know, dive out of social media. That's just kind of impossible to do nowadays. But um, I don't think he cares how good Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson are. Uh, you know, he knows he'll be compared to those guys embraces it, and I think that it's not something that will ever hold him back in his career. The fact that, you know, right now, two years in, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Holmes are probably he is. 
How, how would you describe Mitch Trubisky's leadership style? How, how is he in the room? How, how is he in meeting rooms? How is he as the, you know, really the face of the franchise, which is the, the quarterback? Yeah, he's great at that. That is one of his strengths as a, a football player is his leadership ability. And players spoke to that from, you know, one of the first couple weeks he is the starting quarterback of the Bears. Uh, I remember a couple offensive linemen saying, you know, they, they were kind of, they weren't like goofing off in the huddle, but it was sort of like, okay, you know, what's the next play, blah, blah, blah. And they started to break the huddle before Trubisky had said break, and he kind of called them back and swore at them and said, you know, only I break the, you leave the huddle when I break the effing huddle or something like that. Uh, and players really respect his leadership ability. He's a vocal guy, uh, someone who really, if, you know, to talk to Mitch Trubisky and to see him interact with his teammates is to really understand how good of a leader he is and why people respect him. He's another guy who's genuine in who he is, uh, someone who, you know, carries that self-confidence that you need in a quarterback that's got this, like, tinge of cockiness, but it's never to the level where you just want him to, you know, kind of shut up and stop talking. It's always just that this, like, perfect line that he, he doesn't cross in terms of his confidence, his cockiness, and just the, you know, the way that he communicates. Uh, it's really tremendous, and it's a good thing for the Bears, but it doesn't matter as much as his on-field production, say the least. Now, my last question for you before I let you go. Uh, the Bears, they have a, are going to have a third-round draft pick. What do you think they're going to do with that draft pick? Uh, you know, Ryan Pace, their general manager, is insistent about picking the best player available, um, but they have a pretty clear hole at running back. When you trade away Jordan Howard, uh, like they did last month, it, it opens up I, look, I thought they were going to take a running back anyway before they traded Jordan Howard, but now it's almost like, okay, they really need to take a running back. But I wouldn't necessarily say they're going to take a running back with the third-round pick that they have because Pace is you know, pretty best set on sticking the best player available unless there's kind of a you know a tiebreaker. And at that point, then you draft for me. Um, I would not be surprised if the Bears took safety or an outside linebacker or a cornerback with that third-round pick. Um I, I would be a little surprised if they didn't take a running back with their third, fourth, or fifth round pick. But I, I think they're going to take one at some point, and that is going to be a really fascinating move because this running back class doesn't have the top-end talent that we've seen in previous years with Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott or Christian McCaffrey. These guys who deserve to go in the top 10. I don't even know if there's going to be a top 20 pick in this running back class, so there's a lot of depth in those kind of middle rounds of the draft, which is right where the Bears' sweet spot is. So who they take is going to be fascinating. They've done a ton of scouting on a lot of running backs. I think they're up to 14 or 15 or 16 running backs that they've brought in for official business to have fall. So they've done their homework, and it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out in terms of who they take and when they take them. JJ, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, man. Thanks for having me on. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to give you my most overrated and underrated players in this upcoming NFL Draft. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm on my hustle like I'm Russell. My ambition really crazy. About to rock it like McGrady. There's someone to stop me. Oh, it's clutch time in the fourth. I pour forth inside a glass. Fade away like I'm Nash. I hit the clutch and I'm gone. Oh, we're back with Barbara Jeff Sports. Once again, I want to thank J.J. Stankovic for coming on the show. Uh, covers the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago. Appreciate him spending a uh, busy time out of his very busy schedule to come on. Always appreciate that. Hope to have him on the show again soon. So here's where I want to go with this, right? There's been a lot of talk, right? Nick Bosa uh, has some conservative views. And usually I don't talk about this, but I believe that there was a piece done on this. I think it was by ESPN. And they're talking about how, you know, Nick Bosa took down his tweets because I remember, and I remember this because this happened over the summer, right? Probably around 
this time maybe uh, Mayish, late Mayish, I believe, where there were a bunch of tweets and people were trying to connect the dots and maybe saying, is Nick Bosa a racist uh, and whatnot because he's a Trump supporter? He said Beyonce's music is trash. And he also said uh, Black Panther, the movie Black Panther was trash. And I believe he also uh, said he, Colin Kaepernick's like a clown, right? Uh, so people are saying he's conservative. Even though I don't think he's ever, Biden never even said he's actually conservative. He's a Republican. Those are his political beliefs. But people, you know, kind of went on that ledge of the spectrum. And he uh, said he took it down because, you know, he's going to San Francisco. Reportedly, that's the team because everybody's talking about Kyler Murray going to the Arizona Cardinals. And San Francisco, you know, the Bay Area, pretty liberal area. Maybe that's the coaches, the owner of the organization, you know, they're saying, hey, take down the tweets. Now, I, I want to dive into this really quickly. Now to give the whole perspective of the situation a little bit. I do not have a problem with whether it's ownership, your coach, your future boss telling you to take down tweets, uh, whether it be liberal or conservative. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I think that is your boss's right because they employ you and they uh, sign your check every week. So I think if they're telling you, hey, this isn't a good look for our company in any walk of life, you know, you know, you should do that. I don't put all of my political opinions, all my political beliefs on social media. I don't do that because I usually I don't discuss that. I'll talk about people about my political beliefs, uh, even with acquaintances, actually, you know, not when there's really a microphone and there's recordings or when they're it's on social media and it stays forever. So, you know, I think your boss, your owner, your superior said, I have a right to ask that and ask questions and say that. Now, on the Nick Bosa thing, here's what I'll say about Nick Bosa. I think. For him, I think it's also smart. And while I do, you know, he said he still believes it. He said it's not like he's changed his mind about any of those things. He still believes it. Uh, but he took it down because he thinks that's the best business decision. And all respect and all power to him. Sometimes I say, you know, fake it till you make it. Like, do what you got to do to secure the bag. Get generational wealth for you and your family. Uh, and get an NFL career and get in the place you want to go. Secure the bag. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. You can still be a conservative. Like, you can still talk about politics. I mean, it just doesn't have to be like, and you can probably put it back on Twitter after the 49ers draft you and you have 10 sacks through, week, through 13 games and you're defensive rookie of the year. You know, like, you know, this all stuff is just a cat and mouse game. But here's also now where I want to go. I think it is ludicrous that we are now in a place in sports where this is even a thing. Uh, I think it's a tragedy and especially people calling Nick Bosa racist. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I think that's immature. I think that is unprofessional. I think that is wrong on so many levels because he said these things. Beyonce's music sucks. Black Panther the movie sucked. I support Trump. And Colin Kaepernick's a clown. Now I'm going to tell you this. I'm black. I am an African American. And I'll tell you my opinion on all four of those things. I think that Black Panther is one of the most overrated movies of my lifetime. You want to know why? Oh, uh, I think it could have been well done. And part of me, and this is my ego talking, I think if I wrote it, I would have done a hell, of a, a hell of a lot better job writing it. I think it was a good movie. I think it was overrated. I wouldn't come see it two or three times in a row. My mom did that. My aunt did that. Because, you know, there's people that are saying, you know, because it's an African-American movie with people with African-Americans as the lead roles, a black director and all that, you know, that you should keep supporting it. But I also know African-American friends of mine and even and white friends. They don't like Black Panther simply for the fact that they're DC fans. They like Batman and Superman, not Black Panther and Captain America. Like, there's a lot of things that go off over there. There's a whole, you know, argument about that that doesn't have to go racial. Okay, next, Beyonce. Uh, I think Beyonce's talented. I won't deny that. But I'll tell you this. Uh, I have more Luke Comb songs on my playlist than I do Beyonce songs. I have more Aaron Lewis songs as a country singer on my playlist than I do Beyonce songs. I have more Florida Georgia Line songs on my playlist than I do Beyonce. I have more Toby Keith songs on my playlist than I do Beyonce. I have more Thomas Rhett play songs on my playlist than I do Beyonce. More Johnny Cash. So you get it? Next, Colin Kaepernick. I think that there are both sides, and there is a lot of credence to both sides of the Colin Kaepernick argument. I don't really want to rehash that and get into that because that can get dicey as well. But I, I, I will just say there are two sides to it that I completely understand. 
uh, both sides. There's one side that the pro Colin Kaepernick, the side of systematic oppression of African Americans, uh, with with police shootings, and he's standing for what he thinks is right. Then there's the other side, you know, where you can make an argument that what he's doing offends people. Because I have friends and I have white friends that tell me that you know they have family members that die for this country, and and you know that's their prerogative. So you know there's both sides. You know, was it the right thing to kneel? Could he have done a better way? We can go on and on about that for hours. So there's a lot of ways to look at that. So to me, that means nothing. And he likes Trump. Listen, I'll tell you this. I have a lot of, I know a lot of people that like Trump. I have a roommate who likes Donald Trump. Uh, I have teammates who like Donald Trump. I have classmates who like Donald Trump. So, you, you know the whole Trump thing, just because you like Donald Trump. Okay, uh, some people like George Bush. Some people like Barack Obama. Some people like LeBron James. Some people like Kevin Durant. Some people like Steph Curry. Eat your own, how you grew up. Isn't Nick Bosa most likely conservative? Yeah, I mean, he grew up in Fort Lauderdale. And while Fort Lauderdale is a, uh, I believe it's a decently liberal area. I know Key West is, uh, which is a little further past Fort Lauderdale. But, you know, Florida, there's the backwoods, you know, kind of the deep south. More, more conservative bones. I mean, he he's, comes from a wealthy family. You know, he's Caucasian. Like, you know, there's a lot of things you can say that fits a certain demographic that can lead to being conservative. But just because he's conservative, that does not mean he can't relate to black teammates. That does not mean he can't relate to black coaches. That doesn't mean his teammates won't love him and his teammates won't be happy he's on the team. And that doesn't mean he can't be friends with his black teammates. And it doesn't mean he's a racist. All that stuff is BS and it's and, and it's hogwash and it's sad. I got some Jordans on my feet. But and, and it's sad that we're at that point. And, and, and it's sad. And you know, you, you could have used, I guess it's, people say you could have used a better word than saying Beyonce Strap. Okay, he's in college. He's around my age. There's a lot of things that I use, a lot of analogies, you know, that maybe aren't the best analogies. And when I'm 30, 20 years old, later I have a wife and kids, maybe I'll use better analogies. I mean, he's a teenager. He's a teenager. Like, let, let, let's give this a whole break in totality. Let's give this a whole break in totality. But with that, I want to give you my most underrated and overrated players in this upcoming 2019 NFL draft, right? So we're going to start with underrated first. One, I have Will Greer, quarterback out of West Virginia. I think Will Greer could easily end up being the second best quarterback in this draft. Right now, people have Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, and even some people have Daniel Jones on some mocks I've seen all ahead of Will Greer. I'm trying to tell, I will tell you this for a fact, I believe Will Greer will be better than both Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. I think he has a very good chance to be better than Dwayne Haskins. Will Greer, he's a five-year a five-year quarterback, been college for five years, redshirt senior. He's been to Florida, transferred out, you know, had a steroid suspension for steroids, transfers to West Virginia, has a couple big years in West Virginia, and he was a Heisman candidate for a large part of the season. I know people are talking about two attack of Aloha, Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray. But Will Greer was right up there with those guys, and Will Greer was putting up a lot of numbers. A lot of numbers. And also, you know, the maturity. He has a wife. He has kids. Uh, he has a kid. Maturity of coming in right away, five years, five-year player, been in college for five years, has gotten to grow, mature, go through ups and downs, having to transfer from Florida. When he was very good as a true freshman, I remember watching Will Greer play. It was like 2013. Really good. And then going to another program, building yourself back up, building your image back up, having, you know, wife, kids, more maturity, more stability. Okay? Number two. Clinton Farrell, defensive end out of Clemson. And the reason why I have Clinton Farrell on my list as one of the most underrated players is people have Nick Bosa ahead of him. Some people have Montez Sweet ahead of him. Uh, Rashawn Gary. Uh, other, a lot of other pass rushers. I've seen some mocks where he's gone in like the late first round. I'm here to tell you, Clinton Farrell is the second best defensive end in this draft besides Nick Bosa. And I, I think there's a pretty big gap. I would take Clinton Farrell over Josh Allen as a uh, as a guy that uh, the linebacker, outside linebacker out of Kentucky. Take him over him as a guy to set the edge. Clinton Farrell, he can play both the run and the pass. He is a monster in the run game. He is a monster. He was kicking Jonah Williamson's tail in the in the national championship game. So I like Clinton Farrell. He should be a top 10 pick. Jonah Williamson, my next guy out of Alabama. And he slide down some boards. Uh, I believe people have had Jawan Taylor uh, off to tackle out of Florida ahead of him in some mocks. I want my Buffalo Bills to get uh, Jonah Williamson. To me, I don't know if he's a tackle because his arms might be too small. It might be too short. But here I'm going to tell you this. He's just really good at football. He can block and move people off the ball. And that's what I like my football players to be able to do. That's what I like my football players to be able to do. He will be an all-pro, Pro Bowl caliber player from day one. Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown. 
Marquise Brown had an injury uh, that he suffered in the Alabama game. It really wasn't the same in that game. I think Hollywood Brown is actually the best wide receiver in this draft class. I think he's the most dynamic wide receiver in this draft class. Look, when I look at him, and I think he, there are actually mocks where he's in the late first round, early second round. I know he's 5'10", 5'11", or whatever it is. He is Antonio Brown. Without all the foolishness. Knock on wood. He's Antonio Brown. He's going to be a stud in this league. Can do everything. And Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro might be a fifth round pick, sixth round pick, seventh round pick. Uh, you know, one of those little white slot receivers that we look at. He can't do much, but I'm telling you what Hunter Renfro can do. He's great. He can run routes. He's pretty quick. Smart football player and will make tough catches over the middle. And let me say this again. He is a great route runner. I don't know if Hunter Renfro will be a star. And he, he won't be probably. But I'm telling you this. He will catch 50 to 70 balls and be an immediate contributor on an NFL team. Now, these are my most overrated players. Dwayne Haskins. And you know what? People are saying, some people are starting to say Dwayne Haskins is at Kyler Murray's level. And I'm here to tell you. From lots of stuff I've watched Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne Haskins is not at Kyler Murray's level. Not even close. Dwayne Haskins is closer to Will Greer than Kyler Murray. So, so I think that's kind of a dichotomy and, you know, a gap that we all have to recognize. Number two, Drew Locke, another quarterback. Some people have said, can Drew Locke be a top 10 pick? No. No, I'm not impressed with Drew Locke. Drew Locke is big, strong, athletic, but you know what? His numbers didn't impress me, and he played in the SEC, and he wasn't very good. Now, I know people might say, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, look what Josh Allen did. Well, guess what? The jury's still out on Josh Allen. So let's give it a, let's give it time. And by the way, Drew Locke ain't the athlete Josh Allen is either. Let's also state that. Devin White, middle linebacker out of LSU. People have been talking about this guy like he could be a top five pick. I don't see it. I think he's kind of slow diagnosing runs. Uh, I think he can get caught up in motion in the backfield. I, he's a freak athlete. He can get to the ball carrier. He can recover very quickly. I feel like offensive linemen get a hold of him too easily. I feel like he's the type of guy that it's going to take two, three, maybe even four years where we start looking at him like, okay, this is the guy. But before that, and he's going to be able to contribute right, right away for an NFL team, but we won't see Pro bowler, all pro right away. So I think in terms of being that immediate top five contributor, that will not be what Devin White is. DK Metcalf, my Uncle David, love you, Uncle David. He wants the Buffalo Bills to take uh, DK Metcalf uh, with their first round pick. I'm not a DK Metcalf fan. I know DK Metcalf is 6'5", about 227 pounds, can bench press 225 about 27 times, and he looks with his shirt off as chiseled as a brick house. I'm trying to tell you that just because you run fast in a straight line and you are jacked, that does not make you a good wide receiver. I'm trying to tell you that. There are a lot of dudes out there in this world that are jacked, look good in the gym, look great with their shirt off, but they can't play in the NFL. How are his hips? How are his agility? How's his mobility? How's his route running? All questions I would like answered. And by given the fact he was hurt. He's big, strong, has bulgy muscles. That's not necessarily the best thing in the world in terms of, you know, getting hurt, you know, tearing muscles. Maybe he's too big. And my last one for most overrated players in this draft, Rashawn Gary. I've seen stuff with Rashawn Gary being a first-round pick, a top-10 pick, and beginning of the year, top five, top five pick. I'm here to tell you, I don't even think Rashawn Gary was the best player on his own defensive line. In my opinion, that honor would go to Chase Winovich. And I know Chase Winovich might not be as fast, might not be as strong as Rashawn Gary, but all Chase Winovich does is make plays and has a high motor and seems to be doing what he's supposed to do on the football field. And Rashawn Gary just seems to have smoke up his head, and it's like, oh, oh, what is going on? So I'm going to say Chase Winovich will be a better pro than Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary has more talent. He has more potential. But we haven't seen that yet. And eventually, keep waiting, you keep waiting, you keep waiting for potential, and the potential never happens. Why not just pick the guy that produces and plays well? Makes sense to me, especially if you're going to bank on him being a top 10, top 15 pick. Lord have mercy, no. That's it for my... Most underrated players this upcoming 2019 NFL Draft and my most overrated players coming up in this 2019 NFL Draft. Now, second hour, we're going to be entering the WCET FM radio network only portion of the show. The podcast version is, in, is ending. But if you want to always listen to the podcast, you can check it out on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and you can go on iTunes, search up my podcast, Barber Shop Sports Talk, four words, and leave a good review, right? You know, so give me five stars, you know, say, you know, I love what Daryl Diaz talk about, you know, I'd appreciate it. But you want to know what, for some reason, if you don't like my podcast, and I always say this, take 
the advice your mama gave you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I would appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the first hour of Barbershop Sports Talk on WJCU Radio, 7.30 to 8.30 in the morning, and the podcast version. Now, coming up next, second hour of Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to explain who I have winning the East and why. Coming up next after the break.